Hello, hello, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive Imperial Assault. I'm your host, Isaac, and today we have a very special episode. After months of waiting, long deliberation, and speculating, especially after the um, spoiler article released about a week ago now at this point, when the episode is released, Season 3 for the Imperial Assault Continuity Project is now out. So what we are going to do in this episode is that myself, David, and Jessica are going to go every single card in detail, reading the rules, give our thoughts, and what we think it is going to do in the meta. As a member of the Continuity Project, I can give some answers why we created each of the cards, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say my own thoughts in this episode, not the views exactly of the committee. I'll explain what their views were, but I will give my opinions on each of the cards, whether I like it or don't like it. So without any further ado, let's uh, bring in the other two. How are you doing, Jessica? I'm great, thank you. Marvellous. Had a good new year and everything? Yes, and looking forward to increasing sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? But uh, hey, we're in London, so don't get your hopes up too much. I know. Uh, (laughs) And we also have David. Hello, listeners. Yeah, very excited today to look at all the new stuff and see what IACP has ready for us. Marvellous. So before we dive in, um, do you guys want to give any of your thoughts on Season 2? How you thought it went? Anything you... At this point, you've obviously seen the cards, but... (laughs) ignore the fact that you've seen the cards and what were you hoping season three would give you so i really have been enjoying the icp i have a hard time though differentiating season one and season two they're kind of smushed in my mind (laughs) so (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed the lowered costs of a couple figures that now are a bit more viable. I really enjoy playing sentries. I feel like there's also some exciting new mix-ups in season two. So the Nexu fix was in season two, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And so that one was obviously shook it up for a lot of people. Maybe gone too far, but in my mind... I don't find that that's such an issue because since we now have season three, you know, more things are going to be coming out. That was really strong for a short time, but new things are going to come out. So I feel like what ICP is going for is exciting and is making it a lot more fun for a lot of people that have been tired with the game. So I think that not perfect, but I think we are making a lot of exciting things happen. Yeah, very well said. Anything for you, David? Uh, yeah, so I guess from season two, I'm interested to see how Boba Fett and the Nexu were dealt with in the end, because they did cause quite a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. And season three, I think bringing up the rest of the core set back into a playable meta level would be great, because a lot of new players, you know, maybe don't have as many figures. Very, very true. Uh, I was hoping to get some extra figures. We'll we'll go through all the cards and then maybe have some closing thoughts at the end. But yeah, there were some figures I for exactly that reason that I didn't want to include, which unfortunately didn't make the cut just because we had a pretty tight deadline. Before we dive on in, do we have any news, Jessica? Yes, I've got a couple things, not too much. So one exciting thing that caught my eye was, so we've got from Valerio Di Gregorio, who runs, I am assuming he runs, um, IACP italia.home.blog released an app, an IA builder, uh, army builder for Imperial Assault. And it seems to have a lot of cool capabilities and is meant to be IACP compatible, uh, which was a big deal with some of the other army builders. There was a little bit of a to-do with updating it, not updating it. 
So this builder is meant to be IACP compatible. So check that out at iacpitalia.home.blog. And so that caught my eye and that looked really cool. Is that the one you're using, Isaac? Yes, indeed. I do want to give this guy a shout out because he spent a lot of time on this one and it is glorious. It's it's now become my main one because uh, I used to use the, um, it was pretty common in Europe, the one I used to use, the IA Armies Designer, I think it was called. This one is just amazing. It allows you to separate between IACP and standard format, which is just perfect. So if you're going to Wells, you can have two separate ways of building your list so that you don't need to scroll past IACP cards when you're building a regular list and you don't accidentally <laughs> click in an, an, a regular card when you're building an IACP list. So it's, it's great. I can't recommend it enough. It's not downloadable from the App Store or anything, but there is a link, I believe, in Zion's Finest on the Slack and on the Board Wars Discord as well for anyone who's still there. And it's great. I think it's only for Android, but if you do have an Android phone, I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. And in additional IACP news, we've got Season 2 Community Vote is still going on. The voting ends Wednesday, January 22nd. So you still have some time to put in any comments about Season 2 if you feel very strongly about that. Also, there is an update about the IACP kits. The kits should be coming out to you and that if you find any tokens that have any problems, contact Chris to get some replacements for that. And we've got Las Vegas Open starting 24th of January. So that's coming up. And I know quite a few of our listeners are going to that, I believe. Uh, We've got here in the UK, 15th of February, we've got a prime championship in Sheffield, which uh, we are going to. In IACP news, we've got an IACP regional at Mythic Games in Littleton, Colorado. And we've got our Adepticon IACP Regional Championships confirmed on the 29th of March, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Isaac, do you want to talk briefly about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is going to be a bit of a one-off regional championship. So some of our listeners have probably been to a IACP Regional Championship before, possibly. Um, So this one is going to feature prizes which are exclusive to this event. Uh, The trophy might still be the original one, we're not quite sure about that yet, but the other prizes, as in the participation cards, the top four tokens or top eight tokens or top four other items, which I'm not going to spoil yet, but at at the beginning of February I should have all the prizes together and maybe have a bit of a spoiler reveal article, so that should be fun. I think it's going to be quite a blast. So after the FFG Worlds has finished out and, you know, we, we calm down after the final FFG organized play Imperial Assault event. We can now turn our attention to the IACP and see what it brings. So yeah, like Jessica said, it'll be on the Sunday after all the FFG events and it'll start at 8pm, so it's an early start. The reason for that is unfortunately that we need to leave by 4. And obviously if we start at noon, that would only give us 4 hours, which is realistically barely even 2 rounds with lunch and everything. So this way we have a couple of of rounds and I think it's going to be good. I've already commissioned an artist who is producing a gorgeous piece of artwork of uh, an epic battle between two of our favorite Imperial Assault characters. So I think it's going to be good. Yeah, and it will be run by yours truly. Obviously, I'm going to run the whole thing. Absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, So that'll be really good fun. So we hope to see you. We do understand if you have to fly off after the main event, but hope to see you there. Indeed. In the UK, we've got a lot of events coming up as well. So we've got two FFG Prime Championships. So two regionals, one on the 1st of February in Harlow, 
and one on the 15th of February in Sheffield. In terms of IACP events, Isaac is running a regional here in London, 1st of March. So I hope to see some of our UK friends there. Indeed, indeed. Isaac, over to you. Alrighty. In that case, I say we just dive straight into season three. So we're going to start off with the mercenary faction. And the mercenaries actually got a lot of changes this this season, which I I, th- I think this is going to be fun. I'll start off by reading the first one. So the very first card that we have is Four Lom, Ambitious Droid. He is a mercenary figure, costs seven, obviously unique. His traits are droid, that's it. He has health nine, speed five, defense is a black die. He has a range attack of blue, yellow, and red. His stats are that he has a static plus two accuracy. He has a surge for plus one damage and plus one accuracy, another surge for blast one damage, and another surge for weaken. His abilities are very interesting. The first ability is Programming Override. It reads, at the start of a round, choose one trait. You gain that trait until the end of the round. He also has a surge, which is called Concussive Bolt. After this attack resolves, if it targeted a figure and the attack did not miss, you may push that figure one space. And finally, we have Shared Intuition. While attacking, if another friendly hunter within three spaces of you has line of sight to the target space, apply plus one damage to the attack results. So Jessica, what do you what do you think of that card? I love it because I've been dreaming of an all droid mm-hmm. list for a long time. And the more droids we can get up in here, the more that makes sense. I really want to play Forlom with BT. Oh, yes. <laughs> with the droid hunter droid combo. So that's what I'm pretty excited about. So that looks pretty fun. Now, what are your ideas considering ICP moving forward with new deployments? about miniatures? What are you expecting people to do for minis? Uh, it's a really good question. Most listeners will probably know this because it, it'll be in the article um, posted with all of these changes spoiled. So there is, our biggest advice would be Shapeways for most of these. There is a great Shapeways supplier. It'll be on, on the article what his name is, um, but he has four long miniatures. He has also miniatures for these other new characters that will have lower down. So that would be my biggest advice. Ultimately, for casual game, you don't need the specific miniature. You could use a coin or anything or just whatever you want as a proxy. For tournaments, I'm not quite sure what the restriction is on that. That will probably need to be confirmed in an IECP FAQ pretty soon. Yeah. But yeah, It'll definitely be something, but there are a bunch of Shapeways providers which produce literally IA models. So they're perfectly IA sized and everything with the base. And, you know, if you got four Lama, you got some of the others we'll be showing in a little bit. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that would be my thing that I definitely want an answer to is at the tournament level, what would be the restrictions for miniatures? My opinion is that since ICP is kind of a community project, we want as many people playing as possible. I want people to be able to bring whatever they want want as long as their opponent can very clearly recognize what unit is what unit. I mean, gauging off my previous uh, discussions with the committee, that's what I'm very, very sure will be the decision. Because we've been talking about this before, and the consensus was largely, as long as you can clearly see what it is, if that means a Lego miniature or a printout circle with their face on it, it should be fine. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, for big UK events, we could even try to make the miniature a prize. Very true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be a pretty cool prize. And uh, David, what do you think of Fallon? So programming override is really interesting. I think you can get a lot of really nasty tricks. Uh, it is a little scary that the same figure can do smuggler spy. So you, you can have the ultimate 
kind of support yes command card unit right you can black market prices with this guy you can intel leak with this guy very true um the thing is that there is a big opportunity cost with that of course in that if you do decide to go spy with him for the round he can't use hunter cards he can't use smuggler cards he can't use trooper cards he can't do anything else basically except use that spy card which you really want to use so yes he's very flexible but anything that he does comes at a big opportunity cost unless you just really build a list about that one trait if you put him in a droids list with where all the droids are hunters then you just give him the hunter keyword every round or or you can give him the hunter keyword and just scare your opponent yeah yeah yeah, exactly that's what i love about programming override is that it seems so intricate yes and any abilities which really the skill level just rises up so much by that card i think that's great because programming override some some players eventually it'll be he'll be played in a way that people will be able to bluff and counter bluff and stuff with him that oh no he's now a smuggler when he's in the middle of the map he he has to have on the lamb or maybe it's just bluff. I, think, I think the tougher one is when you're when you're playing against him and say it's the start of round two and they suddenly go okay my trade is spy and you're sitting on a handful of commands. oh yeah what are you <laughs> exactly are you so so the it? so just like thrawn but in almost in a more scary way than thrawn i think he's going to be a very intricate model and, and honestly i love him he his damage curve is relatively low for a seven point model you know he is only a search for plus one damage and you know no rerolls blue red yellow not not amazing, but he can be a trooper whenever he wants to to get trooper cards. He can be a hunter whenever he wants to. So I think he's going to be pretty cool. He also has a command card, which is very interesting. It's called Preservation Protocol. It's reserved to um, fall on, and it costs one. You can include one in your deck. Use when you have suffered damage equal to your amount of health. Recover one damage. Until the end of the game, you lose programming override and shared intuition, meaning that you don't get the extra damage if you have a hunter within three, and you can't choose your trait. So that's very interesting. So he gets to stay alive, but he basically loses all of his interesting potential if you kill him. So what are your thoughts on that card? I feel like this is like the wound mechanic for campaign, right? It's Hmm. like you stay alive, but you are much less useful than you were before. I still think, though... He is really, really strong. I don't know. I, 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 I would. I like it because I'm not sure if I'd put it in my deck, but I would consider it. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. And and, and it is something you have to consider when you're attacking him. So just um, to clarify, the reason we went for this is that thematically, in Legends at least, whenever Forlorn was defeated or destroyed, Zuckus was able to repair him, but he he was never able to repair all of his software. Mm-hmm been told so we tried to incorporate that as best we could in a way that if you kill him he comes back but he loses a lot of his potential Mm -hmm. and his personality so it's interesting what do you think david i probably wouldn't play it i think there are a lot of similar cards now and being locked to a character needing to have it in hand right really bring down its potential because I i also think hondo's card is quite good but yeah. it doesn't quite make the cut, and I'm not sure that this one would either. Exactly, but I mean, ultimately, <laughs> the thing is you can run it just like you can run Hondo's card mm-hmm. and just ruin someone's day because they're not expecting it. So I, I think it's not gonna, It's not a broken card. It's powerful, but the thing is, with the new seasons, we don't want to break every yeah. card we make. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but here's the thing. If we make Forlom, we have to make his buddy. I mean, come on. Yeah. So the next card we have is Zuckus. 
He's a Gund Feinsman. I probably massacred that name, but hey, whatever. He is mercenary faction as well. Also costs seven. His trait is only hunter. His stats are health 10, speed four, defense, black die, attack, yellow, green. So not a very big attack. His stats are, he has plus two accuracy to every attack. So guaranteed accuracy of three. He has a surge for plus two damage. Good. Surge for plus three accuracy and a surge for PS2. So just there, you can see he's got the better surges than uh, Forlorn, but the worst dice pool, which is interesting. Uh, first ability, Mystic Hunter. When you declare an attack, you become focused. It's basically Assassin, just differently worded, because we don't have to you know, use the same wording for every time a hunter does the same ability. Mm -hmm. When you declare an attack, you become focused. He also has a surge for Stun Net. After this attack resolves, if it did not miss, the target becomes stunned, which is interesting. So... It's worded in a very specific way. So if they dodge, or if you don't make accuracy, then obviously you don't stun them. But if you unfocused, or well, obviously you're always focused, but if you do no damage to Vader and use the surge, you're still able to stun them, which is interesting. And the final one is shared calculations. While attacking, if a friendly droid within three spaces has line of sight to the target space, you may force the defender to reroll one defense die. So David, what do you think of that? I think it's... It's interesting, but both Forlom and Zuckus hit that seven point card cost, which is incredibly competitive in its scum right now because of the uh, the weak ways, because of Lothcat plus Beast Tamer, because of, I don't know, Onar plus something else. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot of competition. But I mean, like I said earlier, the last thing we want to do is make him so much better. He is different. And the way I kind of see him is that you'd probably bring him if you bring Forlom. He seems to boost Forlom in a fun little way. Obviously, shared calculations is simply his own version of incorporating the shared intuition that uh, Forlom has. I don't think he's going to be too powerful or too broken. I don't think he's going to be too strong away the matter. But 10 health for 7 points is, you know, not bad. And uh, yeah, what do you think, Jess? I really like it. I like the combo of... Zuckus being played with Forlom. I just like those kind of thematic elements. I agree with David about the seven cost uh, argument. But I think this is a fun unit that could be put into a lot of different lists. Like you could have different combinations. And again, I like him in a droid centric uh, list so i like the idea of having him in with a bunch of droids exactly and i mean just like you said it's it just opens up more possibilities for for a list because yes he, he is a hunter but arguably he's the hunter that almost works better in a non-hunter list you know if you just put him in an all droids list arguably that would be better than if you put him in an all hunter list it's interesting i think he's interesting jess do you want to discuss the next card zuckers's own command card which i love all right we've got Feinsman meditation Use at the start of the round to choose one of your opponent's groups. When your opponent activates that group during this round, you may interrupt to perform a move or an attack. Cost two. What do you think, Isaac? I love it. I love it so much. And the reason I love it is that your reaction to this card is going to be one of two things. You are either going to absolutely love it, or you're going to absolutely hate it. This is obviously generalizing, but I, most likely you will either look at it and think, okay, well, here's a card which you choose an opponent's group, and if they just activate that group first and you're outside of line of sight, then you've wasted a two-point card. That is true. It's also a card which people will look at and think, okay, so if I just choose the right person and force my opponent to kind of adjust his tempo, then maybe that's pre pretty nice. So, so for example, if you leave Zuckus 
adjacent or not maybe not adjacent to Vader but in line of sight to Vader and Vader is almost dead so this is obviously a very situational situation so Zuckus has line of sight to Vader who's almost dead Vader just needs to activate and kill someone to win the game you play Feinsman meditation and choose Vader which means that if they don't activate Vader then uh, Zuckus is going to attack Vader if they do activate Vader then Zuckus is going to attack Vader so you have that chance to just sit, depending on the situation you're going to be able to really adapt the game to what you need it to be so I, I think it's a great card I think it's going to be extremely Extremely difficult to play well, which is why I love it. What about you, David? I'm not sure. So it's interesting in some ways, and there are some limitations that make it not so strong. But adding more ways to mess around with how activations work and how figures being able to attack and all of that works in the game is tough because you start adding a lot of burden of knowledge issues where if you are playing with someone who hasn't memorized all of the cards you just suddenly spring things upon them over and over again until they have no clue what's happened and they lose the game. So I, I, I have a very love-hate relationship with that. I mean, one, it rewards veterans. You know, you put a lot of time in the game and you kind of get that level of knowledge and it's great, sure. On the other hand, it makes it really tough for someone coming along later on to pick everything up in one go because fine, we have Feinsman Meditation and then let's say you're actually playing it in an Imperial list. So then they've got to worry about it's called the Vanguard with Tarot and Ferocity with Tarot and suddenly, you know, yeah. a third of their deck is just, surprise, <laughs> I kill you. Yeah, no, no, sure. And that, that's certainly a good point. I mean, arguably you could say the same thing about every command card in the fact that the more command cards you add the higher the learning curve is going to be for newcomers yes this card certainly takes that to the extreme but i, I don't think it's too deal so this is one of those ones where i like complexity element to it that it's not just straightforward it's not like oh you just deal extra damage so i like that there has to be some thought put into when you play this and i like how it can be used in a lot of different ways like we've been talking about before like with uh four loms ability the programming override, you could use this to psych somebody out. So you could set somebody up and choose a group that you're basically trying to get them to not activate them. That kind of psychological manipulation element can come into play. And I think that makes it quite interesting. I don't know if I would play it, uh, but I think that means that it's balanced. It means that, you know, depending on how you play and what list you have, you can think about putting it in. Uh, so I think it, it is an interesting card to have in there. I agree. I think it's, it's very strong if you consider that this wave is empowering guardians and people might be running provoke oh, yes. because then you, you can say mm. okay i force you to first activate your 3 PO, oh. and then i'm gonna play this zuckus card and when 3po activates i'm gonna kill your vader or not vader because they <laughs> yeah yeah your han or yeah something. yeah exactly so, so i I, th I think this card has the potential to have a lot of combos i really like it I, i'm interested to see what it does in the matter because just like you guys said it's not an auto include it's if you want to play that way you put it in this is why i think the testing league is so cool is because there might be some broken combos out there and we'll see it's it's like the Wild West. We'll see. Precisely. Um, so moving on to the next mercenary hero joining us. So we have the infamous Dengar, the ruthless killer. <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> eight points. 
He's just a hunter. He's got plus two accuracy, surge for plus two damage, and surge for plus two accuracy and blast two, which is pretty interesting. 12 health, four speed, a black defense die, and a green yellow attack die. So he has a bunch of abilities as well. He's got contempt while attacking if the target does not have a harmful condition apply plus one surge to the attack results and he has a surge for punishment after the attack resolves if the target suffered one or more damage choose one harmful condition and the target gains that condition this effect can be triggered multiple times in the same attack and finally he's got need for pain before you declare an attack become focused so what do you think i really really like him so dengar was one of the cards that i mainly designed the changes compared to the previous dengar he's one point more expensive he has formal health gone from eight to twelve Yes, Dengar was that bad. He had 8 health earlier. His attack pool is the exact same, but he now auto-focuses before his attack, so it gives him an extra attack die without risking him doing too much damage. With you know, If he had a green, green, yellow, then you could focus him as well, and then suddenly he's got green, 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 yellow, and that could become a little bit stupid. I don't think so, but... We also gave him the surge for plus 2 accuracy and blast 2, and uh, the reasoning for that was Dengar isn't a very nice person. <laughs> he sees you sure? and he shoots you and he wants, just wants to hurt you. That's all he wants to do. So f- for us, it kind of makes sense that he doesn't just look at you and shoot you. He will just shoot you in such a way that he just hits as many people as possible, in addition to stunning, bleeding, and weakening you. So for me, I really, really like him. We made him 8 for a very specific reason, and that's basically what you guys spoke about earlier, that the other figures we introduced, they contest that 7 point very, very strongly. And if we make too many 7s, 6 and 7s, then you can just kind of just take all the 7s, and then that would be your list. Whereas if we make a couple which are 8, then they're a little bit above the, the price curve, but they just have an interesting and different ability. And if they are competitive enough, one point isn't going to matter whether you take him or Zuckus, for example. For me personally, I really like him and I can't wait to play him. I, I think he's going to be an interesting addition because punishment is just so strong. Yeah. He's been so underestimated because he's been such a horrible figure earlier. But now with a minimum range of, I mean, technically a minimum range of six, when you can see that he'll have plus one surge and he has such plus two accuracy. So I think it's going to be fun. What about you, David? I've been sitting here actually looking at the last couple of cards as well, eyeing that health per point ratio so my my initial thought was that they're low dengar is obviously a little higher but i think something that i'm not sure about is how that assassinate change really affects our ability to one shot all of these lovely buffed gentlemen (laughs) because my first instinct when looking at something like uh, the Forlom at 9 health for 7 points is that that's a trivial one-shot, especially because he's got 4 speed and a black die. Five speed. Oh, he's 5 speed. Okay. A little better. But 9 health, black die, just screams, you know, 7 point plus 1 from Java, celebrate up to 12, yeah. and maybe get 15 from this <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think I, I don't quite have the new damage curves internalized so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this wave, uh, for better and for worse. Yeah, I, I completely get what you say there. The biggest reason we put Dengar 12 was that he is, you know, a little more of a close-range figure. We didn't want to, you know, just give him an extra blue die so he can snipe stun from across yeah. the map. And the thing is as well, thematically, Dengar is a guy who has, he's wearing bandages everywhere. And spoiler alert, I'm not, actually, I'm not going to spoil the movie because this wasn't actually shown in the movie, but to anyone who didn't notice, Dengar was in Rise of Skywalker. Say what? 
Yep, yep, he was. I'm not going to tell you how, because that's specifically stated in the uh, visual guide or whatever, but he was actually in the movie. He always wears a lot of armor, he's very injured, but he doesn't let his injuries get in the way of him doing the, his dirty deeds. So having a high-ish health pool kind of is justified for him, in my opinion. Uh, so what do you think, Jess? I think he does look quite strong. I really like the thematically putting on harmful conditions, the punishment ability. I think that's pretty interesting and that's going to be quite powerful. That being said, I'm never going to play him because he's too ucky. No. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, Dangar. I know. We haven't even painted Dangar. He's too ucky and he's just a gross man. I just... Ruthless killer. So gross. So you can have your dream Dengar Palpatine Java. No! And our next mercenary hero is, you already know this card, Boba Fett. He was a bit of a powerhouse in the previous wave, and we decided to play around with him. So as you obviously noticed, he wasn't available to be voted for in the season two voting about a week ago. But we did we did change up some of his abilities. We still wanted him to be worth his 13 points, but we just didn't want him to kind of have a win button, essentially. We didn't want him to be able to move 10, attack twice, flamethrower, shoot a rocket round one and just kill Han two rangers from the other side of the map, because that's just dumb. So we've made some changes to him. The new Boba Fett, infamous bounty hunter. He is a hunter and a vehicle. Still 13 points. Health 14, speed 6, defense of black die, and attack pool is now blue, green, green. So Han Solo's attack pool, interestingly enough. His stats are plus 1 block and plus 1 evade, as always. He has mobile as well, which is always good. He has a surge for plus 2 damage, and a surge for plus 2 accuracy and pierce 1. He has 3 abilities, and these are partly new, partly the same as previously. So firstly, we have Whipcord. Once per round, you may spend two movement points to choose a figure within three spaces in your line of sight. Push that figure up to three spaces to a space adjacent to you, and it becomes stunned. The next ability is Wrist Flamethrower. You already know about this one. Once per round, you may spend two movement points to choose a space within two spaces. Each other figure on or adjacent to that space has one damage, one strain, and becomes weakened. The final ability is EE3 Carbine. While attacking, you may spend two movement points to change one of your attack die to a red die. Limit one per attack. So what do you think about these changes, David? Uh, so I don't quite remember what the previous versions were. I remember there was uh, some sort of wrist rocket. Yes, so there was wrist rocket, which was um, spend two movement points to choose a space within four spaces and in line of sight. Each figure on adjacent to that space suffers the damage equal to either a green die or a red die. I can't remember, but it was pretty strong, so we cut it. He also had stims, which was some sort of stim, um, so he could essentially spend two movement points to either gain a power token or discard a harmful condition. Right. And he also had e an E3 carbine. His attack pool used to be blue, green, random, and you can choose your attack die. Now we're making him spend movement points to change that to change right. that die. He also didn't have whipcord. We added that one instead of the rocket, and we got rid of stims because it just seemed wordy and irrelevant. I mean, I think the Boba Fett deployment is fine. I don't think there is ever any huge problem with it. It was a little complicated, maybe, but the it was the command card, really, that mm. broke everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the thing we thought about as well was that he's a speed 6 character who can double move, and he can spend 2 movement points to use a wrist rocket. The thing that is dumb about that is that in the finals for a tournament, and when you have all that time and you play very cagely and very carefully with your figures, you tr- you do everything you can to keep your queen pieces alive and out of line of sight. The best players in a tournament are the ones who are able to make sure that they always keep the most valuable figures safe, usually. Whereas, if you've got Boba Fett, you can just move 10 spaces, 
then choose someone within four spaces who takes up to three damage. And that's just dumb late game. It's it's so dumb. And so that was the main reason we changed that around. And also Stamens was just too wordy. And Wristcord is, you know, a little more thematic. I mean, to be fair, the only thing we see him do in the movie is use his whipcord. So we got to put it in. There were some concerns about him being too powerful, even without so the I card. Think, I think what's a bit strange to me thematically, I guess, is the incredible accuracy that Boba Fett has. Because, I don't know, to, to me, the Mandalorians are always kind of short range with the flamethrowers and everything. As a Battlefront player, I thoroughly disagree. <laughs> There's nothing more and more annoying than Boba Fett just fly when, when you're a Jedi. Boba Fett just flies on top of a mountain, so there's no way for you to get to him, and he just shoots you from afar and just shoots rockets everywhere. Yeah, but Phasma also has some kind of automatic sniper rifle, which is weird. Yeah, I get what you mean, but at the same time, Boba Fett. The, the problem was we haven't re- we haven't really seen him in a movie, have we? Apart from well, not really doing too many interesting things in a movie so i think it's interesting because he's a lot of points yes he's not so much health considering how many points he is he's really fast and he has huge amounts of defense but actually he's gonna shoot you from across the map so let's let's assume you maybe will focus boba fett because that seems like a Hmm. reasonably good thing to do so he's shooting minimum with five five accuracy and he's got a surge for plus two Mm. So trivially, he's hitting, say, seven, eight spaces. Yeah, he doesn't have a reroll, yeah. um, which Han does. And yeah, so he, he can he can change his moving points. He can use two moving points to change a green die into another blue die and go blue, blue, green, green. But remember that Boba Fett is a very versatile hunter. A common phrase is obviously no disintegrations, but at least in, in my opinion, and I think that's probably the opinion that many on the committee share, is that Boba Fett is, is a guy who, he will find a way to kill you somehow. <laughs> and I, I don't think that he is exclusively melee or sure. close range. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at that plus one block and plus one yeah. evade and just thinking how how difficult that is going to be to match his range. Sure, sure. Because yes, when you shoot back at him, I'm sure many of you have shot at Han standing next to 3PO from, <laughs> you know, eight or nine spaces away and you know that's probably not going to work. Yeah. And that's Boba Fett by himself with without any uh but honest return fire but but, but i see yeah. what i see what you mean how about you jess what are your thoughts on Boba? so we'll have to see how it shakes out in testing and i can see him being strong i don't quite know yet if he's going to be overpowered i, I think that'll have to be seen i really like thematically the spending movement points for things uh, because we've discussed before about how there are so many different types of resources in imperial assault that you have to keep track of. Your health is a resource that you want to be using. Movement points is a resource as well that doesn't very commonly get used in abilities like this. So I think that's a really interesting then thing to think about movement points as resources, not only for movement, but for your abilities as well. So I think that makes Boba Fett more interesting to play not just powerful, but interesting to play. One of my kind of design niggles with it, though, is that the card has so much writing on it. And like we were talking about before, about if you have somebody that plays more casually or is new to IACP, and you're just like, oh, okay, Boba Fett does this. And they're like, what? And then, you know, I'm sure... (laughs) <laughs> a lot of you have had this experience where somebody does something and you're like, can I see that card? And then they hand it to you. And then if they hand you yeah. this one, your eyes just sort of glaze over and you're like, yeah, okay, do whatever you want. Cause I can't be 
bother to read it. So I'm a little bit worried about the IACP design aesthetic, I guess, for this, about having cards with so much text on it. So I, I'm not so concerned about something happening and then reading the ability afterwards. I think that's straightforward. I'm more concerned about the new player asking to see the cards beforehand and you hand him a stack of small novels to read. <laughs> <laughs> and they just look at it. Oh. And the, the point is they're not going to memorize all of this in the 15 yeah, no, seconds absolutely. before it starts. Uh, and that is something which I actually completely agree with. The difficulty we had was that this is less wording than the original Boba Fett yeah. card. The Boba Fett used to have three abilities plus one extra ability, which was automatic. And the, the thing is, the people who played Boba enjoyed playing Boba because he was so interesting, or at least from what we heard, because he was so interesting with... He could spend moving points with so many different abilities. So we did want to kind of keep that aesthetic whilst making it less wordy. The thing is, if we remove another one of these abilities, he becomes a lot worse. Yeah. I would yeah. No, I don't mind it so much for Boba Fett. It's just more of a something to keep in mind oh, that absolutely. this doesn't happen all the time is all. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, there was a very specific reason I didn't take this one to my first Learn to Play event that I hosted. It's yeah. because it was too wordy. This one, I think, is more possible. Yeah, no. I definitely feel like this one, the rework, is a lot more accessible and not such a novel. <laughs> yeah, but I like it. I'm excited to see how, how people play it. Let's discuss his card. All right, Mandalorian Tactics. Use during your activation to gain four movement points. Use during your activation to perform an attack without spending an action. Yes, I really think that the change was about right. I mean, the yeah. previous card just gave you six movement points and an attack. Yeah. Right? This one definitely brings it down to a more reasonable level. I mean, it's it's either Vinto's card or a really beefy movement card. Exactly. And that's exactly what we've been talking about uh, about. You know, having cards which you can do interesting things with them, and that's what I think this card does. I mean, I I, I agree. I think it's I, I think it's fine for two points. Boba Fett should be able to perform another attack for two points. He should be able to get an extra yeah. four movement points if he really really needs to. Because I mean, the ability to move. I mean, what would that be? Fourteen spaces and flamethrower might be game winning. So I, I do find it very scary that Fett can get twelve movement points and then make an attack. Yes, but if you consider the other two-point cards, which would be the equivalent, such as Blaze of Glory, then double moving and performing one attack is much less impactful than Blaze of Glory, for example. That's I, true. I, I would argue. But I definitely see what you mean, but it is a single-use command card, and you don't get the move points and attack, so you can't move 16 and attack. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. I think it makes sense. I think for two points, it's reasonable. It's not going to break the game. So yeah, I, I really like it as a rework. And for this one, though, I would say if I played Boba Fett, though, I would I would definitely include it in. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. think it's, it's definitely really good, but not completely bonkers. Broken. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next we've got the Nexu, the larger, you know, less lovable cat. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually stare at their model, the mouth, it's really scary. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty it's, scary. It's unnerving. It's, it's unnerving. Scary. 
So it looks like they've gone back to regular FFG stats. Correct. It's a big move. We were considering whether to just turn off one of the abilities. Yeah, just turn off either one of those. We decided that we wanted to see how it would do with regular stats. Because the problem with the Nexu is that, and the three of us, we spoke about this at the last regional, the problem with the Nexu is not really the stats. It's just, by the time it was good, it didn't see that much play. But then when cards came out that directly buffed it, such as Deathblow and stuff like that, why didn't we see it get played? That's because because Spectre Cell just used all those cards instead and just destroyed everything. So the Nexus never got a chance. Basically, the biggest reason we did this, this is for the testing league, we want to see how it goes. So for all of the players who ran a double Nexu, we want to encourage you to still run double Nexu and see if it's absolutely horrible. And if it does, maybe we'll give the one the plus one health back. I don't I can't see us giving the plus one damage back because that was crazy. Well, I, I don't I don't know that the goal should be to see if double Nexu still works. I think the goal should be to see if one Nexu plus one some other thing that hugely supports the Nexu, like Lothcats, oh, is better. Because the, the problem I really had before was that if you're trying to build a double Nexu list, most people I talked to just ended up throwing everything out and just putting more Nexu in because yeah. they're so strong. I mean, surely getting a free token of your choice and having, you know, huge flexibility should be worth something. Yeah. Especially if that unit is already considered good. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And uh, how about you, Jessica? Yeah, I definitely feel like just that little tweak, I think should make a difference. And like you said, I'm really curious to see how it shakes out in the testing league. Indeed. Yeah, so that was a pretty quick one. Uh, the next card we have is actually the Tuscan Raider fix. Oh, yeah. So now you can actually use the Academy <laughs> episode. <laughs> so the Tuscan Raiders have been adjusted. The new Tuscan Raiders are still seven points, three each, two in the group. And this is the elite card, by the way. They are brawler only and mercenary. The health is seven, speed four. Defense single black die. Attack is melee red green. Their stats are still plus one damage, surge for pierce one, and surge for weaken. Their they have one ability, which is a special action, which is Tuscan Cycler. Perform a ranged attack using one blue and one red die. Apply plus two accuracy to the attack results. So before we dive into what we think of the card, I'm just going to line out exactly what the changes were made. There were two main changes. We got rid of the search for Cleave. And the reason for that is because the Cycler now allows you to use abilities and gives you extra accuracy. So you're guaranteed range a four, and you are now able to use the search for PS1. You can use the search for weekend, you get the plus one stat, this plus, the static plus one. You can also now use reroll cards and stuff like that. So those were the changes made. So Jess, what did you think? I really like it because I felt like the Tuscan Raiders had this potential because of the being both melee and being able to do a ranged attack. And I really liked the idea of the Tuscan Cycler, but the way it was written before, it, it's just garbage. The you cannot use abilities during this attack. It's like they weren't even that good anyways. Why did you take <laughs> them away? Like so it just didn't seem to make sense to me. Um so I like that now the Tuscan Cycler is a viable option and adding the plus two accuracy I think is a good choice so that you actually do feel like you want to be possibly using the Tuscan Cycler. I mean the cleave I could take it or leave it. I don't think the cleave was broken anyways and oh and okay huge nerf though you took away habitat desert now obviously <laughs> they're unplayable but yeah exactly nice um so just to clarify the reason we got rid of the cleave the reason for that is that if you use cleave in a ranged attack 
That means you do it to anyone in line of sight that you could otherwise have hit. God, yep, that makes that makes sense. Because I was like, cleave on a melee attack makes perfect sense. Yes, got it. We didn't mind the cleave on the melee. The problem is the Inquisitor is so cool because he can cleave with his lightsaber throw. Right. But having, you know, two sets of elite Tuscans with four of them just moving up and shooting you and shooting other people as well, that's essentially eight attacks. You're pretty really. much turning them into Vintos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, David, what do you think of this guy? Yeah, I, I really you... like the I really like the changes. I mean, so now they shoot blue red with plus two accuracy and plus one damage, which is a pretty decent beefy ranged attack. I, I like that they don't have any other traits to buff it up because that's quite strong, especially three point seven health. I agree. Yeah, and with the search for Pierce One, yeah, they're they're pretty decent, and I, I like how the rules were streamlined. Yes. Absolutely. Before, as she just said, the Tuscans were kind of strangely worded rules-wise and still bad. Get rid of that confusion. Exactly. Make it really straightforward and yeah, it works. Yeah, exactly. I do like this change as well because the thing is, yes, this range attack is now really good and maybe they'll turn more into a range unit rather than a melee unit. But remember that their only trait is Brawler and 99% of Brawler cards benefit being adjacent to your targets. Right. And the thing as well is that red-green plus one is better than blue-green plus one, arguably. Yeah. Pure statistic-wise. So you're still going to want to use the melee attack, but just gives them still a strong range option if that's how you want to play them. So I think I think it's good. All right, listeners. So go back, re-listen to Yunlin Tear. Go back and try out that list. You know, it's going to be a whole new game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> And that actually wraps it up for the mercenary cards. So any brief final thoughts on the mercenary changes? I'm really excited to try Forlam and Zuckus. Yeah, same. I'm looking forward to that. And Dengar. Dengar, I'm very so excited about. I, I'm not, not sure. I, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm not exploring Scum so much at the moment. That's fair. Well then, let's jump straight into the Imperial faction. The first one is a lovely, lovely classic. And who we wanted to bring back? We have the Royal Guard. It is elite, costs nine. Reinforcement cost is five, so 10 for the both of them. Traits are Guardian Brawler, two of them in the group. And like I said, they are elite. Health is 10, speed five, defense a single black die. Attack is red die and yellow die, and it is a melee attack. Their stats are reach, pierce one, innate. They also have an innate extra evade whenever they attack. They have a search for stun and a plus two damage search. They have sentinel, just like before. While a friendly non-guardian figure is defending and you are adjacent to the targeted space, apply plus one block to the defense results. Limit one sentinel or protector ability used per attack. Forward vengeance. When an adjacent friendly non-guardian figure is defeated, you become focused and may move one space. And professional. While attacking, you may reroll one attack die. So just before we dive in, the changes we made is that the Elite Royal Guard, instead of costing 12 with reinforcement cost 6, is now 9 with reinforcement cost 5. So that's a pretty big points reduction. Health and speed are still the same. We gave them a automatic pierce 1 and professional. The reason for that is that we looked at the stat lines and realized they're doing the same amount of damage as a riot trooper, and they're 2 points more expensive. Yes, mm. to be fair, you have Sentinel and Forward Avengers, they're not meant to just be in the action all the time. They're supposed to be protecting someone. But we still want, you know, we still want them to have a, a good attack. But if we just if you just give them another attack die, then suddenly forward vengeance becomes really, really good if you put them in a stormtrooper swarm. And also just having a lot of dice doesn't seem very elite, in some of our opinion. So we thought pierce one and reroll. It gives you a small attack, but a very consistent and rather strong attack. 
Because red yellow is, I would say, is the worst dipool in the game. Uh, but we thought with with a reroll and a PS one, I th- we thought it could be good. Let's change. They they look absolutely terrifying to me. Yes, that's what I'm thinking too. Okay, so when you when you look at imperial beef units, kind of health efficient, hard to kill units, my sort of internal rule of thumb was that if something had twice as many health as they cost in points, they were probably pretty tough to deal with. So something like tarot, jets, riots, these royal guard have more than twice as much health than they are worth in points and a built-in evade. Yep. So with the Zillow and with maybe some block tokens on top of that, they're going to be really hard to get rid of. Exactly. And that is something which we do want to see in this testing season because obviously the previous Royal Guards were strong before all of the extra, before Zillow, before the extra block, before the extra evade from Thrawn and everything. So we, we want to see how they go. I do think their health might be a little bit too much, but ultimately we'll see with the testing league. For mm. me, I think they they look really, really cool. And I think they are such a staple of Imperial Assault that it's good that they've been brought back. Could have been done better, in my opinion. But it's a difficult to balance because obviously you want them to be tanky and strong. But Sentinel is such a strong ability. It's insane that how do you still make them a formidable figure while still yeah, being powerful? Yeah, I mean, something like Royal Guards, Jets, where the Jets have block tokens also are going to make them. Exactly. Unkillable. Yeah. I'm really excited to try putting them in. So I'm really picturing Royal Guards and Riots and Dengar. Jets. No Dengar. Take away Dengar. <laughs> okay. Wipe him from I'll, my memory. Get away! Get away, guys! This is my fantasy. Okay. So put a job in there as well. I really, really, really want royal guards with my trooper swarm and also just because cinematically the red mini with all that white and black i i'm really looking forward to it i'm gonna try it this is gonna be my icp list before i try out my droid list i'm gonna try out royal guards and trooper swarm with riots and jets i'm really looking forward to it love it yeah Alrighty. well the next change i think is going to be Probably briefer than the other ones. It's they're relatively simple. Yes. So the SC two dash M repulsor tank nine points now. So it's got twelve health, four speed, black defense dice, blue, red, yellow attack dice. Massive, a free plus two accuracy, search for plus two damage, and search for blast one. The abilities are two actions to focus fire, perform two attacks targeting the same figure. And defensible, while defending, you may either apply plus one block or plus one evade to your defense results. And uh, before we dive in, the changes that were made is that we kicked off one point from it. It used to be 10, it's now nine, and we gave it plus two health. Yep, so now it has 12 health, four speed, black die, blue, red, yellow, rainbow attack. Indeed. Um, so my thoughts on this one is there was a lot of debate and deliberation with this card. Um, I actually like this one. The reason for that is that as of standing right now, the HDP can't use retrofitting, which means the HDP can't move three and then use its assault to attack. This tank, however, it can move with retrofitting and then perform focus fire. And focus fire is obviously a strong ability, even though it's, you know, not obviously not even nearly as good as assault so even though it's got less health than the atdp and more speed than the atdp we thought that the same price of the atdp would be fair because it can use retrofitting and 
Defensible is better than just a static plus one block. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I, I like it. I'm not really a big Imperial Vehicles player, but uh, for me, it looks yeah, it nice. Does, it doesn't have that reroll. Yeah, it seems, seems reasonable, worth a try. Yeah. I want to see Paul running this. I think he could do it. I, I, I see him playing the tank. Just as a note, though, it just feels funny to me that with health 12, this tank can take the same number of hits as Dengar. Okay, just thematically, that feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah, Dengar is pretty strong, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but he, this tank also does have Defensible and Zillow and the yeah. Endless of Five Imperial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I get what you mean. Well, on to the next card. Uh, so we've got Scout Trooper. Deployment cost eight. Reinforcement cost four. Built-in plus three accuracy. Surge plus two damage. Surge plus three accuracy. Health 7, Speed 4, Defense Black Die, Attack Blue Red. And abilities, we've got Camouflage. Hostile figures four or more spaces away from you cannot draw line of sight to you. You do not block line of sight for those figures. Action, Find Weakness. Choose a hostile figure in your line of sight. That figure becomes weakened. Exploit weakness. When attacking a figure with a harmful condition, apply plus one surge to your attack results. So I like this thematically, and I like the synergy between that find weakness and then exploit weakness. I think that's fun, and it does use an action. So you have to really be careful with your positioning here. And so then you can also have that synergize with the camouflage so you have that setup where you make it so you're far enough away and then you can then use your action to do find weakness instead of having to use your action for movement and then exploit weakness so i think the setup your positioning is going to be really important with the scout trooper which makes sense thematically I completely agree. I really, really like the Scout Trooper design. Yes, they got a, lot, a long range, but I mean, they're not hunters. So, you know, realistically, if they can find the weakness of their opponents, then they have a guaranteed accuracy of eight, which is good. But, you know, it's blue-red surge for plus two damage. So they're long range, and it's going to be difficult, you know, to take them out. And there might be some um, interesting combos out there, which might make them too powerful. But I'm looking forward to seeing them in action. They are spies. Yes. So making them, you know, the same price as a jet trooper with cross-training, I think just makes sense. And their troopers as well, which I I think they're going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing them uh, being tried out. I'm definitely looking forward to playing them with Dengar, because I feel like that would synergize incredibly well. Dengar running up and stunning and weakening a bunch of guys, and then the scout troopers just start picking them off from afar. And I like the kind of defensible aspect of this being positioning based versus the typical imperial beef where it's add a block, add a block token, add a free evade, add an evade token. So I like that you have to be careful with your positioning instead of that. That being said, I will not be playing the scout trooper because I am garbage at positioning. I, I I need those just plus blocks. That's what I'm really excited about the Royal Guards. And I'm just going to run my uh, riots, spoiler alert, right into your face. Well, you know, they're, they're not actually that frail. They're yeah, eight, yeah. eight points, but they have seven health each. Yeah. And you can't shoot them from four or more spaces. Yeah, exactly. 
So mm-hmm. it, they will be difficult to take on out. But obviously against the list which just runs wants to get in your face, it's going to be pretty difficult. It, it's really thematic that one of them can kind of spotter for the other one. But at first glance, I'm not excited at all about doing that because you'll be spending two figures, eight point activation for one shot of a blue-red plus two damage surge ability that isn't a hunter, so you're not stacking anything. What's more interesting is actually their close-ranged capability because you can't shoot them unless you're within three. And by the time you get there, you probably don't have the points to run away. So the same scout trooper is going to find weakness and shoot you in the face. And it's going to make it incredibly hard to make sure they don't get off a really crazy call the vanguard or throw a grenade into your back line. Exactly, which is why I'm interested to see how these guys do. As an age-long ranger player, they look pretty fun. Not against my rangers. <laughs> yeah, they kind of counter, counter rangers yeah, but, pretty well. But they are an interesting replacement for rangers. So for me, I'm looking forward to trying them out. I really like the spy trooper tag. I like that bit of it as well. That gives you a lot more complexity with the command cards that you play. So, okay, I said I wouldn't play them, but I I would consider it if I was going to try to add in spy, which I have thought about putting in some more spy stuff, especially if I want to play a list with Thrawn. I think that would be really nice. Um, But I'm too dumb, y'all. Okay, I just got to I just got to beat stuff in the face. (laughs) <laughs> Two scouts with royal guards. Yeah. It's actually pretty scary. Yeah. If you extra mm-hmm. armor them up and they have plus one block, you work so hard to get within three and then you shoot them and they don't even care. And the royal guards then chase off to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to see how they do. I think it'll look fun. Uh, and the next card is the ISB Infiltrator. Speaking of spies. <laughs> exactly. This is also the last Imperial change. So not too many changes for Imperial, but I think unlike in Mercenary, I think that all of the changes in Imperial are pretty big. Yeah. And also Imperial gets a pretty big buff with a last couple of uh, command cards we're going to reveal later. So ISB Infiltrators, seven. Seven points. Reinforcement cost four. Two of them in the group. Traitors only spy. Uh, health six, speed four, defense a single white die, and attack blue green. For their surge abilities are pierce one hide, another one, another surge for plus two damage, and another surge for pierce one plus two accuracy. They have an action, coordinated raid. Another figure in your group may gain two movement points and interrupt to perform an attack targeting a hostile figure in your line of sight. Limit once per group per round. And also a surge ability for deadly. Apply minus one dodge to the defense results. So the changes that were made, it was only a single single very basic change coordinated raid gives the targeted figure two moving points before their attack mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on these guys i'm i'm not that crazy about the change actually i think i liked that ultra high skill ceiling positioning game where in the case where you couldn't move them mm. as a ranger player i certainly relate to that the reasoning for not is that they are a pretty expensive model. Sure. And they die very, very easily, and they don't have a lot of range. But so, so, so what's happening now, though, is that you're being punished more for losing the first ISB in each group because the buff that you got will yeah. also be removed from yeah. one figure. Yeah, no, no, for right. sure. Um, which means that it, it will still be a very, very yeah. skill-based unit because if you lose one, you're screwed. Mm. You're absolutely screwed. But it just gives you that little bit more flexibility because the thing is with so many of the maps, it's... It is very difficult to set up coordinated raid and survive just mm. because of the low health and low range. And yeah, we could give them an extra blue die, but well, maybe they they can have some uh, royal guard help now. To <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. 
Exactly. This is definitely a figure that I would never play. I don't like playing those kind of more frail white dye uh, imperial units. Black dye, baby. I I like the idea of the coordinate raid, and I like that risk element that like if you lose one of them that's an ability you just don't have anymore. Yeah, for me, I definitely would never play them. But the uh, the deadly with the minus one dodge could be very appealing to a lot of people. And again, putting spies in, not usually my jam, but I like them thematically as spy units. But I, I don't see myself personally playing them. Fair enough. So moving on to the rebel faction. The first rebel card is the you know mighty rebel hero, Biv. <laughs> Biv Patrick. I like Biv. Hunter Brawler. Yeah, I think uh, probably a lot of people wanted him to be much better in both campaign and skirmish, mm-hmm. and hopefully this does the job. <laughs> so he's now eight points. He's still unique. You can only have one Biv. Sorry. Got. <laughs> <laughs> 12 health, 4 speed, black defense dice, blue, red, yellow attack, a built-in plus 2 accuracy and plus 1 block, surge for plus 2 damage, and surge for blast 1. Uh, Biv now has brutality, perform 2 attacks against different targets, and can spend a surge for suppression after resolving a ranged attack if the accuracy of that attack was greater than or equal to the distance to the target, the target suffers strain equal to the number of the target's block, evade, and dodge results to a maximum of two. And I'm not even going to bother going into all the changes because I would just be reading the entire card again because the previous bib sucked. Health 12, speed 4, defense black die, rainbow attack, blue, red, yellow. This is another card which I really, really enjoyed changing around. So we gave him the Brawler keyword, unless I'm mistaken. I'm very, very sure that he didn't have the Brawler keyword before. Close and personal was Biv's theme, but it was just a horrible action. Here's the thing. We wanted to make... (laughs) We started talking about, okay, well, let's look at his uh, XP deck and let's just try and find some abilities that we could give him. And we just went through the deck. Okay, well, that's horrible. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's horrible. And we just did that for the whole deck. So we realized, okay, we can't really do it. So Into the Fray was just replaced with a static plus one block. So the plus one block represents Into the Fray without needing to use that Into the Fray ability because it's horrible. Brutality. Biv in the campaign is a very brutal person. He is not someone who sugarcoats what he wants to do. And he does everything very, very strongly. So we thought giving him a Vader-like ability, which yes, arguably is, you know, more flexible because obviously it's a range attack, so we can form two range attacks, but it's not as good as Minto's ability. And he's three points more expensive than Minto. Pressure. I find really, really interesting because that that feels like a big Biv thematic move. He just wants to suppress you. He does not like that. That's the thing about Biv. He hates you and he wants you to know it. I think it's interesting. The strain, I think it's not completely broken. Certainly strong. It's obviously a little bit better than the riots. The riot troopers would probably do two in an activation. Biv will do two as well in an activation. He's more expensive than the two riots together. So I, I think this is a pretty good change. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing him. I've, and I never thought in my life I would say I'm looking forward to playing Biv. Yeah, he, he looks playable now. 
but mm. nothing that I'm you know very excited about. It's fair enough. I think that point range for IACP and Rebel is too full of excitement with all of the Diala farm boy Lukes and things running around. That's fair. The thing there to consider is that he is a Rebel and he is a hunter. So I could definitely see him being pulled in with Vinto and just shooting everything. Biv Sabine. Yeah, Biv Sabine or Biv Sabine Rangers. So because he is a hunter, he gets a lot of flexibility in that way. I'm just rereading and rereading the wording for suppression. And I just find it really wordy. And yeah. I think it's one of those instances where I just kind of have to try it out a couple of times before I get it. <laughs> so that one, I'm a little worried about the wording throwing people off. That one, I feel like it possibly could have been more streamlined the wording on that one but i get it that you're trying to have it be a unique ability so it's it's interesting because i think they're they're trying to cover all the bases with the rules wording but biv only has a, a ranged attack can he perform a melee attack somehow uh he actually can in the next command card that we'll read uh oh, but but okay. the but the reason for that the reason that we did that was just so that it, it basically meant if you hit and to stop him from being able to use it on his command Card. I'm not a fan of the wording either. That was changed kind of last second. Uh, the reason for that was that we, or the ones who changed it, they wanted to try and make it as clear as possible so there was no confusion, I mean, which my, for me makes sense. My gut feeling would be that you could replace all of that with just take two strain after he attacks you yeah. very simply. <laughs> it, it would be slightly yeah. stronger, I think, than what this is, but I, judging from the rest of Biv, I'm not sure that he's so overpowered. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So his command card? Close and personal. Use during your activation to move up to two spaces, then perform a melee attack using one red and one yellow die. This attack only uses the following abilities. Pierce one, surge plus one damage, surge stun. I'm not a fan. I guess because he is brawler, so you can use all those brawler cards. Hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not sure about this one. Yes, the main reason we did this card was because close and personal, as horrible as it is, it is still a big part of him, and just letting it die in a dish, which maybe it deserves to, um, wouldn't really feel very good. So we thought we'll we'll give him we'll give it to him. He does need to spend an action to do it, and he gets to move before he does it, and he gets side so The reason we didn't let him use his other abilities was that obviously search for blast is a little bit weird. I personally don't think that he needed to lose the those searches because hey, search plus the damage is still good, but. But, I mean, the thing is, you're probably not going to play this card. If you run him in a brawler list, you, you probably will, because then you will have decked out your deck with brawler cards. But I think that Biv being a brawler is... Okay, so my first reaction to this was that I thought it was another Boba Fett slash Vinto slash Call the Vanguard type card. I didn't mm. realize, as you just said, that this actually just uses his attack as well. It's not an extra one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, yeah, so, so essentially he gets to perform a free melee attack when he wants to. Yeah, so I, I probably wouldn't be using this card. No, I, I, and I don't think you would. I think I would use the version that I thought it was, but yeah. I wouldn't be happy about it. <laughs> so what was the version you thought it was? Uh, where it, the attack it gave didn't use one of his actions. If it gave him uh, just an extra kind of heroic attack. Well, that's what it does. It's move two spaces and perform an attack. But he can't attack again because it uses 
his action. Doesn't Why it? does it use his action? Okay, so this this card, I guess, is worded differently than than the Mandalorian Tactics one. Yeah, you are right. Okay, and yeah. also differently than Vinto's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That the intention was one hundred percent to use it to do it without spending an action. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I would probably play this with Biv if I were yeah. going to play Biv. Yeah, right. Okay, so, so that was a big oversight. By the time you hear this, that'll probably be rectified because obviously we're recording this a couple of days before. So essentially what happened, the committee approved the season today. We're recording this episode and then uh, the, we'll be designing the cards, card arts and everything. Um, and then this episode will be released on the same day that everything is ready. So this will probably be, be already fixed by the time you guys see this, but just an interesting bug we found. Built on hope. ICP adjacent. We're like the editing team. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Quite excited about the next one. I thought she would be. Yes. So it's it's the legendary Saska. So she's finally becoming more improved Saska. Interesting fact, Saska was the first ever Imperial Assault Hunger Games Battle Royale winner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul, this one's for you. Indeed it is. It uh, it took some convincing <laughs> to make the committee want to change this one. <laughs> but I knew how happy we made Paul, so he would make Paul. So here you go, mate. So she is four points now. Still Smuggler Spy. Plus two accuracy built in. Search for plus one accuracy, plus one damage. Search for weakened stun. Search for plus one damage. Uh, six health. Four speed, white defense dice, green yellow attack. Her unstable device is as unstable as ever. Choose a space within three spaces and roll one yellow die. Each figure on or adjacent to that space suffers damage equal to the damage results. Then you suffer one damage. And also shady contacts. You may include up to one non-upgrade mercenary deployment card in your army. Indeed, indeed. So the changes we made is that I believe our cost was six previously. It's down to four. Her health was seven. It's down to six. And I think she had plus one accuracy in eight. And that's basically it. So our thinking here was that we don't... So Mac is a cheap rebel spy. So three points, you get spy. That's basically all you use Mac for. Saska, she would basically be played in the same way, except that she has a grenade, which could be valuable when you really need it. And she is built in. She is half of a temporary alliance. We thought it's only fair to give her plus one point. That way, Mac is not completely irrelevant because he is a cheaper spy than her. If you just need the cheapest spy, you can. But she is still a spy to replace Mac and... She gives you the ability to take his mercy. Oh, let's so let's I think not she's good. forget that she's a smuggler. She's also a smuggler. She do a lot of other tricky things. That is very true. Yeah, so a couple other changes. So she has a plus one more accuracy, and she's got a surge for weaken and stun instead of pierce and weaken. Uh, so those are the, the changes. Yeah. So just her pure stat line is slightly improved as well. I like that idea for stun in there. I feel like thematically with Saska, that makes sense, like throwing a stun grenade or something like that. So I like that. So I suppose now the next competitive list is going to be Saska and Alliance uh, Smugglers form. You go Saska, six Alliance Smugglers, and beautiful. Uh, I don't know, because <laughs> they can't. They don't have the Utini. You'll, you'll need to bring in the Smuggler's Run for your five oh, points. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Saska? I think she's really exciting because she can bring certain things into mm. Rebel that they don't have access to. And you're now no longer hamstringing yourself by doing so. 
Exactly. I was playing a, a bit of Sasuke last year, and she actually felt okay for the points until she died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I was yeah. happy paying that much for the things that I wanted because I wanted every feature that she brought to the list, but giving the opponent six points rather than having it just tied up in upgrades was really nasty. Agreed. And for the final rebel. Yoda, Jedi Master, Force User Leader, five points. Health nine, speed three, defense white die, melee attack green die. And he's got a built-in one block, built-in plus one evade, and a surge for recover two. And he's got this lovely set of things that you can do with him. Calming presence. At the start of your activation, remove all harmful conditions from a friendly figure. Wisdom. At the start of your activation, you may draw one command card. If you do, choose one command card from your hand and place it on the bottom of your deck. Action. Mind muddle. Choose up to two figures within four spaces. Those figures suffer two strain and become weakened. Action. Do or do not. Choose another friendly force user within three spaces. That figure becomes focused. Jedi Code. You cannot be included in Imperial or Mercenary Armies. He is very, very wordy. But his abilities, I would say, are a little more clear-cut than Boba's. Yeah, they're very they're very clear what they do. Yeah. So I feel like the wording is is very clear. And I think he's worded a lot like Jabba, where you have a couple of things you're going to do all the time, and then you have a bunch of things that you really hope you never have to do <laughs> when they come and try to kill him. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, for me, I, I really, really like him. We played around with a lot of versions of him. And this was the version that we thought was not overpowered, but still feels, you know, you still get this sense of, okay, this is someone really powerful like Yoda. And this isn't prequel Ariyoda. I wish it was prequel Ariyoda who has, you know, 10 red dice and a melee attack and speed a gazillion but hey we can't do that maybe it'll come later yeah exactly i wish it was baby yoda but you know we can't all have what we want <laughs> indeed for me i really, really like it I, I mean i don't see why you would basically ever put him in a non-jedi force use list which makes sense so I, i'm actually not sure why jedi code is needed at all because yeah. empire can't bring him in it's more for future proofing. Okay. In, yeah. In, I really hope we never come out with an ability that lets an imperialist take rebel figures, but you never know. That's what I thought. It, it was like perhaps in the future a card might somehow cause it to happen. So I think it's useful to put in. I guess you block the Yoda Maul combo here. Yeah, but but even there, Yoda can't focus Maul. So yeah. it's, I think he is going to be an amazing buff for for Jedi lists, but I don't think he's going to you know become a new Gideon or something like that. No, mm-hmm. agree. Uh, I think he's really cool. I don't think I'd probably play him because I've never gotten <laughs> Rebel Force users to work ever. <laughs> but uh, I really like the the idea of it. And oh man, that speed three. Oh yeah. (laughs) And we also have his command card, which is, there is no try. Two points, include one in your deck for a friendly rebel Yoda. Used when a friendly rebel force user within four spaces rolls any number of dice. 
Choose one die and turn the die to any other side. On the chosen die, convert each dot result into two blocks and one of eight. Oh man, when you read it, I'm just like picturing Yoda, you're doing something and then he just holds out his hand, closes his eyes. It's like, no, this is going to happen instead. Exactly. And I love it. It feels so thematic. I love how it's the second part of his ability. So you've got do or do not as an action, focus someone. And then when they attack, there is no try. That just feels cool. That's just cool. I also, I also just think it, it feels very arithmetic. I mean, it's basically Lando's cheat to win, except it's in a very more deep and calm fashion. And it's also dodge-proofing. And it's also a lot more flexible, because it's not just Lando who uses it on himself. Yoda uses it on any force user close enough to him. I think it's interesting. Is it not included in Yoda list? I wouldn't think so, because it's it's pretty expensive for what it does, yeah. and your Jedi might just run up ahead. So yeah. I don't think it's an, it's an auto-include, but if you do want to run it, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I think you do have to consider the possibility that your an enemy's Yoda might have it. And it, it cancels that Hail Mary dodge. Yes. Which is Very. probably the main reason I would run something like this for two points. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe. Yeah, I definitely feel like it is strong enough that you would consider putting it in, but it's not an auto-include. I mean, I, I really think it's interesting and thematic that he's got to be pretty close to the action and he has such low speed but his abilities don't take up actions for the most part so he just kind of hobbles up there (laughs) um i mean it's basically it's basically like the emperor yeah but he's he's actually really defensible white die with yes block and and nine health yeah Okay, what does annoy me is that Palpatine could then force lightning Yoda to death, which, you know, he obviously can't. <laughs> That's because he's evil. So that, that, that was actually um, an ability I considered giving him, is that you can't take damage from any... Specifically force lightning? <laughs> from any Imperial force user on card abilities so vader can't choke him but that was eventually cut because we thought that these abilities would be a lot of text yeah it would yeah, be a lot of text that would be cool though <laughs> and next up for rebels is a very very simple change it's obi-wan we're not going to go over the full stats because there's only a singular change to him he's he now has the guardian keyword oh. Yeah, so, so this will be more apparent when we read the rest of the command cards later, because we've got some pretty big Guardian buffs. And we thought, Obi-Wan just seems a little bit below the curve. Let's give him Guardian as a way for Rebels to compete with all the Guardians the Imperials have. And then if he's still too bad, then we can look at buffing. But we didn't want to both give him Guardian and make him stronger in one go. So we thought we'd spread it out a little bit. Yeah, I don't mind that change too much. Again, we are going to talk about what we think about the all the Guardian command cards, but I'd like to see Obi-Wan played a bit more. I've tried putting him in in a few Force users lists, and it didn't quite work out. So that was the end of the Rebel Faction. So next up, we have a two-point command card named Get Behind Me. It is Guardian or Rebel Force user only. Use this card when an attack is declared targeting a friendly non-Guardian or non-brawler figure within three spaces. Move up to three spaces to a space adjacent to the target space. That's a lot of spaces in a sentence. That also could be the target space for the attack. This attack targets you instead. Uh, I don't think it's too bad. Yeah, so the main reason for that was just we realized that with all of the amazing defensive buffs already coming to Vader, as we'll see in the next couple of cards, Vader really doesn't need more defensibility. It's ridiculous. So even though this hurts some, it hurts the usability of it a little bit because now you can't use it with Diala, stuff like that. And especially with Obi-Wan now being a Guardian, I think, I think it's interesting. 
Brawlers can't use a witch's a, a big nerf, but I think it's fine. Brawlers shouldn't be surviving everything anyway. But I mean, the idea of the Royal Guard Champion running up to stand in front of the Emperor makes sense. I think it's pretty good. Two points. Yeah, I mean, I think that's worth it because Bodyguard, you had to be adjacent. Whereas this one is way more flexible than Bodyguard. So it just makes sense. It costs one more. I like it because if you have kind of your squishier characters that you want to keep alive, if you have some characters, especially in Rebel Force users that you want to run up there, but they don't have so many defensive abilities, this is one way that you can help protect them and keep them alive a little bit longer. And then you might play more aggressively with them. But I I don't know. I'm a little bit torn about it. I don't know if we need to have that meta where we just always fight all the time and we just keep buffing defense and buffing attack and it, you know so I, I i'm a little torn about it i agree <laughs> the biggest reason i like it to an extent now is that the previous version was just so so much worse that i'm just happy we ended up on this so i think the problem will appear when there are enough defensive tools to actually fill a command deck yeah. And then that's going to be a really agonizingly slow plotting game to play. Right. And I, I also, I think I've, I've mentioned this already today, don't, I'm not so fond of big effects that are suddenly like, surprise, you are now not doing what you thought you were going to do. You're going to do what I want you to do. That's fair. Because it, yeah, it, it's another one of those kind of, it's a trap moments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it is on declare, yeah. um, which means you can't do it after assassinate, which uh, right. that was the original version, which is pretty silly. But you can do it after they play all of their... Yeah, exactly. So, so how does how does this work with element of surprise? If they removed your white die from the pool, That would be the same wording or the same ruling as was ruled on bodyguard. I'd have to look up the ruling. I'm actually not sure. It's uh, worth looking out for, for sure. The next guardian command card is soften the blow. Use this card when an adjacent, friendly, small, non-guardian figure suffers damage. Reduce the damage suffered by two to a minimum zero. Three points. I don't like it at all. Yeah, I think we're going too far in the defense direction. Yep. And like David was saying, that makes for quite a boring game. You don't want everything to just be like, Oh, nope, you don't do damage. Oh, you don't. And especially if you're trying to chip through a lot of hit points, it could end up where you get quite a stale meta where it's too turtly. So I'm not sure. Completely agree. Yeah, I'm. this is... There are only two cards in this wave which I really strongly, really dislike. And this is one of them. I, it's just stupid, in my opinion. You don't need to give Vader extra defensive capabilities. Mm. Seriously. You've already got the card above. You've already got the Royal Guards. You've already got Thrawn. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, don't, I don't like it. Okay, so... The problem definitely will be if there's so many defensive tools that it just slows the game down yeah. to the point where nothing happens. And right? especially when you consider, consider the fact that the Empire is the only faction which really focuses on defensibility. Yeah. Right. So it just pushes them up even more whilst not really offering anything to the other factions to let them keep up. I think, I think also objectively, though, if we just consider the design of this card, I think it was somehow reasonably designed. I'm just not sure Imperial Assault needs this type of thing. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, because if you, if you consider it in comparison to Assassinate, which is three damage, yes. 
this is two damage. And usually if you have something reactive, it's stronger than something proactive. So this is the opposite of that. So it's not so overpowered. And you've got this kind of cap to a minimum of zero. So you don't recover from it. Yes. And you, you need to be played from a guardian that's adjacent to a small. So there, there are a lot of things there that I don't think by itself the card is sort of badly no, worded or designed or anything. I'm just not sure that this is a fun direction right. for the meta to be going. I completely agree. Yeah, that was really well put. <laughs> Speaking of cards which slow the game down and make people more defensive when they don't really don't need to, parry. So the parry has now been changed. It existed before. Zero points, limit one in deck. Brawler or Guardian, use while defending to apply plus one block and plus one of H to the defense results. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked about all the uh, our feelings about these defensive cards. I think this one is not so bad. I don't mind it so much. I should disagree. I think this one is worse than the previous one. It is zero points, though. So zero, and it's adding two symbols still, and arguably the evade. I, I mean, I mean, arguably, like the previous one is the anti-assassinate. This is the anti-heightened. Oh, also, okay, I didn't realize it says use while defending. Yes, yeah. and that is the crazy part, which I think about this one. Now suddenly ranged units are just made even more worse because when you do need that search for accuracy, then you can just suddenly decide, eh, actually, I'm not going to let you use that search anymore. And you can't do anything about it. I mean, essentially, if you have Hera next to you, you're going to need to waste Hera in a way which is even more detrimental to you than Zillow. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll be forced to add in an extra search when you don't need it just to ensure that. Exactly. Which, okay, but we, we don't need to talk about this card too so much, but I, I'm not a fan of this. I guess zero points you can negate. This yeah, yeah. I, because there exactly. aren't other things you want to negate right now. No, yeah, precisely. The reason was the most of the committee didn't think it was worth two points, and I strongly disagreed from it being one. So zero. So the, 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 so this card Isaac, reminds me of, of Rebel Graffiti in such a way that it's so dumb at zero that it would be broken up one that's my opinion on it but zero is not between one and two it's what's it put to zero just so that it could be negated yeah exactly so that was the idea that one is stupid for it because then suddenly you're getting all that value without needing to pay two points and without it being able to be negated. Whereas if it's two points, then it's a big investment to get it. And if it's zero points, it can be negated. So technically it was in between because one is too far in one direction, two is too far in the other. Zero was kind of the meat in, in between. Mathematically, obviously it's not in between. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit confused there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to talk about this too much. We've made pretty clear what we think of defensive cards. Again, we'll have to see how it shakes out in the wash. Exactly. Well, okay, I mean, I guess defensive cards and pacing of the game is a, is a big thing that we can discuss in a later episode. Yeah, Completely agree. absolutely. And the final card that we have is, in fact, a rebel skirmish upgrade. It's called Fury of Kashyyyk. Costs one. Attachment wookie only after an attack targeting a figure in this group is resolved. If that figure suffered three or more damage, it becomes focused. This is basically just the fear of Kashyyyk we already had, except instead of two points, it's now one point. So just tiny points decrease, making it actually viable. I think it's good. Yeah, I agree with this because before at two points, I just, I can't see anyone playing it. But at one, you would consider playing it. Let's say that, you know, your points for the uh, list that you've got has that wiggle room for the one point you might consider putting it in exactly not an instant include but you would consider no no yeah exactly yeah it's pretty scary on those uh, wookie warriors i would say or dracata uh not dracata i mean i mean dracata as well but i meant uh, garkin 
because uh, now suddenly every time you do three damage, he becomes focused. But also, one of the times you do three damage, he's going to ready his deployment card. I think it's thematic for Wookiees. I don't think it's going to be too broken, but it remains to be seen. Alrighty, and that is the end of the season three content. So, any closing thoughts, you guys, on season three? Okay, so I, I think season three definitely pushes the meta into a certain direction, and it, it'll be interesting figuring out what is strong and what isn't. I think we do have to keep a close eye on how the games are paced because you know we we have we play a game that finishes in a certain amount of time on a certain round, and I don't know that I have ever played a game where I felt like it ended too early yeah i completely agree and your thoughts on that are very similar to mine the majority of these changes i love but the changes which will make the biggest impact to the meta i'm not a fan of and this is a big divide between some different playgroups which like david said we're gonna bring up in big detail in a future episode but the thing with this season for me is that it moves away from the strategic spike assassination moves and more in just the me big strong i don't care how much you shoot me I will just keep on tanking. And that's just not fun, in my opinion. But again, I, I'm more than open to the possibilities of what might happen. I hope that this season goes as well as possible. And again, most of these cards, I think, are absolutely amazing. But the ones that make the biggest impact, I'm not a fan of. Maybe I'm just overreacting, and I hope I am. We'll see what happens. I'm looking I'm looking forward to playing a lot of lists from this season. I'm very excited about this season, but I'm also scared of some things in this season. What, what I would like to see, actually, is a full map rotation to go with this season. Because mm. we, we are thinking about this in terms of the maps we've been playing because you want to buff up survivability but we should have the points keep rolling so yeah maybe we need some really heavy objective points maps wouldn't that maybe be even worse if now suddenly the imperial objective hit is just never die but at, at least someone will be getting points <laughs> <laughs> come on you, that's better than a three to five point okay. you know, hour and a half uh, okay. game. Yeah, um, I, I will agree to that. Maybe Obi-Wan will come back. He'll negate your... Some, something should happen yeah. if stuff... I, I really agree. I think a tournament rotation is just good for the matter. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah, so Jessica, any closing thoughts for season three? Yeah, I definitely am really curious about the end of season feedback, about what people found fun and what they found frustrating, if they're seeing the same things that we're thinking about now. And again, we haven't tried these cards, so we're just going by gut feeling. So I'm really curious to see the feedback. I'm really interested in the new characters because this is the first time we really tried creating brand new deployments. So I'm really, really excited to try those out, especially because, you know, droids my boo. We'll just see how that goes. But I'm really interested in how some of the abilities are a bit more thought-provoking where you have to really have some more tactical complexity. It's not just like like you were saying, like, oh, just more block or, oh, just more damage. There's a little bit more complexity to that. So I'm curious to see how people end up playing those. Completely agree. Well, I hope that everyone firstly has had an amazing new year and i hope you all enjoy season three the committee put a lot of work into this one i'm really hoping that it it becomes a good one i have some really big concerns like i said some things in the season i really 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 dislike but i'm hoping that i'm just being paranoid and let's see because again the vast majority of the changes in this season i can't wait to play running around with a jedi list with yoda you know an imperialist with a bunch of scout trooper snipers and dengar running up and exposing all the weaknesses of their opponents i think that's going to be a lot of fun stuff that you can play but these guardian things i think are not great but i don't want to be too doom and gloom we haven't seen how it's going to go yet 
So let's see. Until the next episode, I hope you all enjoy season three and see you next time. And happy new year. Happy new year, everyone. And thank you so much to all of our listeners. We've really had a good time recording this year and too many more. And again, you can interact with us. We have our own channel now in the Zion's Finest Slack. You can ask us any questions and talk to us there. Also, you can still email us at builtonhope.com ia at gmail.com so happy new year again everyone and too many more